In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. It looks like we made it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Friday. I hope everybody had a beautiful week. I hope that like some small miracle happened in your life and you're just living the dream right now. I've got an incredible guest for you today and I've been working on this intro right here. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen. In the high altitude realm of Denver where the thin air seems to whisper untold secrets, strides Desmond Wallington, PhD a psychologist as enigmatic as the profound journeys he facilitates. With a license that allows him to traverse the landscapes of the mind, he guides his patients through uncharted territories using ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Yet his journey into the realms of altered consciousness was not a straight path. It was woven through the fabric of political activism. Wallington's odyssey found its genesis amidst the fervor of Initiative 301, one, one, one. The historic campaign that unfurled in Denver calling the the decriminalization of psilocybin mushrooms. It was in the wake of this audacious endeavor that his calling began to crystallize, leading him towards the realm of ketamine-assisted therapy. His voice resonated as he gathered signatures for the decriminalization Nature DC campaign, a symphony of activism echoing across the nation's capital. Capital, capital. But before his metamorphosis into a guide of the psyche, Wallington was a scholar. He honed his understanding at Oklahoma State University in Stillwater, earning a PhD in counseling psychology and an MS in community counseling. Amidst the academic tapestry, his research threads wove through the themes of forgiveness and the delicate entwining of American Indian heritage. In the shadow of his heritage, Wallington finds his fire, a passion for entheogenic and psychedelic medicine that burns with ancestral wisdom. The legacy of his American Indian roots dances in harmony with his professional prowess, crafting a unique blend of healing that transcends conventional boundaries. And he's here today, ladies and gentlemen. He's here today to talk to us. Desmond, how are you, my friend? Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, that was quite the introduction. 
you know the writers are on strike, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I hope I'm not stepping over picket lines because that was masterfully written uh, 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 kind of thing. Um, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be back. Um, oh my goodness. Who was this asshole that you just invited on? Um, <laughs> um, it's quite the, uh, quite the introduction. I, I hope I can live up to the 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 the, the uh, uh, your little spiel there kind of thing. So thank you for having me. Yeah, well, like you said, little the writers me. are all on little strike. Yeah, 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 yeah. The writers are on strike, so they're easy to they're easy to pick up right now. Oh, like, I know, five yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're hanging out like like outside of Home Depot kind of thing, right? You, 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 can, you can just get them um, really yeah. cheap kind of thing. Well, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a lot of uh, Hollywood writers that live in Hawaii. You know, they're just there, nothing else to do. So, yeah. but very flattering. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Um, I live in a really weird moment in history in a really yes. unique city. Um, I, I live in Denver, Colorado, and I actually do live on High Street in, in Colorado, Denver, Colorado kind of thing, which people are always like, you know, when they come over, like, where do you live? And I give them my address. They're always like, of course, you live on High Street, you fucking <laughs> psychonaut kind of thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I'm kind of legally obligated to live here. So thank yeah. you for having me. Um, we had a really fun talk last time. So I, I hope I have something new and interesting to say. This I think you always have something new and interesting to say. And times have changed since our last talk. Yes, almost a yes. year ago, mm -hmm. you know, the the... The world in Denver, you know, there's other states that are coming up, man. Maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the changes that you've seen in Denver. I know that you went to the 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 PS 2023, and it, it must seem like the rate of change there is is happening yeah, really quickly. Yeah. What, what are yeah. some things going on there that people may not know about or that you've noticed in the last few months? So, I, 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 you're right. I, I think like the uh, last time we spoke, we were right before. For November 2022, um, where the Natural Medicine Act passed, which was monumental. You know, there, there were three different components to it. There was a decriminalization of psilocybin, um, ibogaine, DMT, and mescaline, with the exception of peyote, which is good. You know, we, we don't need all the white people coming in and taking indigenous medicine so it's good that that exception was there um but it also created a or so and, and there's a um what do you say uh expungement component of it right if you had any sort of criminal history related to any of those medicines that we can remove that from your record which is good um and, and, and then it, it created a um legal framework for psilocybin assisted therapy in a community setting, therapeutic setting, or some sort of setting, right? Um, where maybe your, your average soccer mom, who's like, I, I want to do mushrooms, but I, I just don't want to do it by myself kind of thing, right? And, and being thrown to the wolves. Maybe I need a therapist. Maybe I need a group church setting 
and, and there's some sort of framework there, right? Um, which is necessary, right? Because you, you, there's a lot of articles out there about people who, um, who, who seek out these types of services and, and they've been let down by Zoloft and Prozac and the big pharma kind of thing. So, so they're desperate. They need something else. However, you know, like they, they have to go underground yeah. to, to find some sort of psilocybin service. Right. And, and, and then you run into all these creeps and predators, right. Who, take advantage of you under the influence kind of thing, right? So let's let's bring this above ground because there are good people out there sure. operating underground kind of thing, right? But, but how do we give them a path to do what they're doing, get a licensure thing? And, and if you do something fishy, that, 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 that they can, like, that there's some sort of licensing board or oversight that, that, that can be accessible to you to, to get, you know, some sort of legal, ethical board ramification, right? Um, so that was the exciting thing about 122, right? Um, it w w was the creation uh, of, of that maybe framework. And um, we're, we're still working out the kinks. This is going to take time. They're still like a, a board and they're meeting every so often. And um, we're trying to learn a little bit from Oregon, mm -hmm. I, I, I guess, because Oregon has some big kinks that's happening, right? Um, you know, it's like if you just want a microdose in Oregon, right? You, you have to go to this community center, pay $250. It's just like a little microdose and sit in a room. <laughs> for an hour or two and then they let you go kind of thing um so it, we're still working out like what does this look like or what will this look like right um um in the grand scheme of things so um it'll be interesting to see how what we come up with in colorado yeah there seems to be a tension, Desmond. Like as I'm as I'm listening to some of the some of the people that are coming out of there, and I'm reading some of the articles, there seems to be like this tension between the work and the monetization. Yeah, you know, and it, you know it's and I, I guess that's something that always exists whenever there is something that 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 is trying to be born as an industry or trying to be born in in into the world in some ways. I guess it's the growth pangs, maybe, but. You know, it seems that the more we medicalize something or the more we try to get science in there, the higher the cost comes. And I realize that there's insurance involved, but it's almost like the more we try to make psychedelics or entheogens a medicine, it 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 gets so many people away from the price. Like, you know what I mean by that? So many people get pushed out because it becomes a medicine. And it's almost doing the opposite of what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Um, so strange. It's a really good point. I, I, I think my reaction to that is like, hey, like, um, I, I guess I just got to put my political yeah. cards on the table. Like, I'm a lefty. Like, I, I think all medical medicine, any type of cancer treatment or anything you ever have to do should be free. You know, yeah. um, 
Medicaid for all kind of thing. And that's not maybe everyone watching this and whatever. Yeah. You're allowed to have your thoughts and feelings uh, about that idea. But, but there is this kind of capitalist kind of maybe thing that a lot of people are really skeptical of and, and, and fearful of, right? And, and I can understand that because it is antithetical to a psychedelic experience, right? You know, you, you, you eat seven grams of mushrooms, smoke some DMT, drink ayahuasca, ibogaine, <laughs> whatever you're doing, right? And, and then you just have this big wazzle-dazzle like, oh, hey, God, you know, you're, you're there hanging out with God for however long that, that experience lasts. And, and, and then it's you come back into reality kind of thing. And, and, and those things do resonate with you uh, on a very f philosophical level. Like, how can we monetize this? Is there, it feels maybe ethically incongruent for a lot of mm. people, right? To, to, to have that big spiritual experience and then like, well, fuck, buddy. I, I think I could charge someone like $5,000 for a weekend, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing to have this experience. <laughs> You know, I, I I can understand that there might be some sort of ethical um, qualms about that, right? Um, and maybe that's maybe the interesting thing that I've noticed working in this space is that there's some there is some assholes out here trying to do that kind of thing, but but there are also some really good people mm -hmm. out there who are. are Oh, I love your cat. Um, who are very uh, cute, or, or no, your cat's cute. Um, <laughs> there are these people out there who are very sincere and, and very, you know, genuine, and, and they're just trying to do the right thing. And like, yep. you know, if this can be my experience, how, how can I, like, the the mom who's single mom of three who works four jobs supporting her kids and. You know, like how, how how do I get this these experiences to her and, and not charge her uh, 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 up the nose kind of thing? And it, it will be interesting too because since the last time we spoke, the um, American Medical Association has successfully lobbied the um, uh, the the people who create billing codes, you know, for for psychotherapy. So. We are maybe in the process of creating some sort of billing framework that, that, you know, if you are on Medicaid, Medicare, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, XYZ, that, um, that there needs to be a billing code, right? Because um, the idea that, like, with MDMA-assisted therapy or psilocybin-assisted therapy, which should be coming out in the next year or two, that... Who the fuck can record or like, afford having two therapists for eight hours in, in a room kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I can't afford that. Yeah. Um, you know, um, you know, that, that that's a luxury that a lot of people don't have kind of thing. So so that there needs to be some sort of infrastructure happening um, within that space. And I will say and I will give my a tip of the hat to uh, Melissa. Labasani, um, she was the campaign director of the uh, Criminalized Nature DC campaign. Um, her her husband was pretty active in the Obama campaign, 
from what I understand, maybe 2008, 2012. But, but she has been really active in trying to get more insurance reimbursement for at least ketamine besides mm -hmm. uh, uh, assisted therapy. Um, her organiz organization is initially started off as the Plant Medicine Coalition, and now I think it's the Psychedelic Medicine uh, Coalition. So um, the ability for access is always something we have to have at the forefront uh, of our thought, but because you, you, we use the term entheogen, right? So mm -hmm. entheogen, theo is God, you know, if we go back to our Greek and Latin roots or whatever. Um, so, so plants that have the spirit of God in that energy of it, um, the, there should be no barrier between me and, and your pursuit of God. Maybe my pursuit of God would be temperance and abstinence and, you know, ab abstaining from all substance use. That might be my pursuit of God. But your pursuit of God might be psilocybin or ayahuasca or any other psychedelic experience that you choose from. And I, I feel like as a culture, that's something that's really covered under our First Amendment yeah. rights. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. It It's so fascinating to me on so many levels. I, I One thing I've really noticed that is there is this reemergence of our spiritual nature. And just to hear you bring up the word entheogen, I've been hearing the term rewilding a lot. And in some ways, what I think is happening is like the human, the human soul or us as individuals are beginning to rewild ourselves. And when that happens, mm -hmm. we we kind of bring God, whatever that is, back into our lives. It feels like the spirituality has been absent from us from so long. And is that too far out there? What do you think? Um, I, I like that. Um, I when I went to the Maps conference a couple of months ago, mm -hmm. I, I had a good friend. She she did a um, presentation about um, Estelle Getty. I think her husband's related to uh, Aldous Huxley. Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And they're pretty well known, like, you know, kind of in the older generation of the psychedelic space. And she gave this really beautiful presentation about bringing the psychedelic from the underground above mm -hmm. ground. And what is that path going to look like, kind of thing? You know, and she had done some survey or research or whatever. And I forget if it was fifth or sixth place, but she said, you know, like, Music festivals and concerts were like the fifth or sixth most popular places for people to do psychedelic medicine kind of thing, which she found surprising. She thought it was going to be higher on the list. Um, and, you know, she's like, a lot of people consider this to be recreational use of psychedelic medicine. She's like, I like the term recreational mm. kind of mm. thing. You know, like you're re, you know, and, and I really resonated with me because um, I, I grew up poor. I, I wanted to be able to go to concerts and music festivals when I was a teenager. Um, my family was broke as a joke and I, I couldn't do any of that fun stuff, you know, I think. But 
in my mid to late twenties, I, I had a lot more disposable income uh, and I could do those experiences. And, and, and the idea that something could be recreational, you know, that, that you're able to kind of have a space of healing and community and connection with a large group of people kind of thing. What made my difference, my experience any different than anyone in a mega church? Like, you know, like <laughs> having that experience. Um, not to shame them or anything, but, but you know, the, there is that sense of connection and that grandiosity that, that, that those medicines can create. So um, I, uh, it, it will be interesting to see how we kind of rethink this medicine mm -hmm. and, and, and how we do it responsibly. Right, oh, through a, a very intentional harm reduction lens. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a big lift that we're asking for right now in this moment of history. Yeah, I, I love the idea of bringing the underground above ground. In my mind, I had this image of a seed you know, the seed starts inside the ground. And so too does the psychedelic experience act like a seed inside of mm -hmm. us and finally bearing fruit a little bit, which I'm always so amazed as when I, when I speak to you and some of my, I have a, whenever I speak to people who have roots in the indigenous community, the language they use, the metaphors are so organic and from the earth. And then on another time, when I talk to a lot of people that are coming out of like Silicon Valley, it's so mechanistic. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, in my yeah. mind, I see it this. It your heart, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I see the, 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 the thread of spirituality that weaves it together. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, uh -huh. I'm hopeful that both sides begin to see that, that connection there. But yeah. isn't that interesting? The language we use and the world we see when we use that language. Yeah. Um, and when we talk about maybe the idea of language and in indigenous cultures. Um, I, I, I always think about uh, Maria Sabina, mm. right? And uh, the, the term she used, uh, I'm blanking on it. It was like mectoconectal or, or, or something. That, that was the term that they had for the magic mushrooms. And that term um, translates into um, uh, into God. Kind of thing like like the 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 skin or the yeah. the body of God kind of thing right um and, and then you go up like north a couple thousand miles out, uh, up to the Lakota people and when I did my pre-doctoral internship up there you know they said that their their language was a gift from God kind of thing right and, and maybe there is some sort of connection there that you you know, um, because there's that kind of that, um, Dennis McKenna had that, um, mm. uh, 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 idea of, um, the stone ape theory, stone ape theory, right. And, and that our, our prehistoric ancestors were fleeing Africa and, you know, that they were pursuing mushroom, you know, you didn't get a kill every night, right. Mm. If you, if, if you were tracking buffalo or bison or whatever you, you were tracking at the time um you you were looking at poop uh, 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 of these animals right and what grows in their poop mushrooms uh, uh kind of thing 
and, and then there's you know the idea that to continue on with that that the human brain just exploded in a small time of space of like 200,000 years, which for us sounds like, oh, 200,000 years, that's a long time. But but for like the evolutionary uh, people, you know, the biologists, that, that, that's a very short window of time, right? Um, so, so there is always that speculation of like, what did psilocybin do, you know, as far as our neurological development and our evolution as a species, right? And then you look at, you know, peyote and, mm -hmm. you know, um, and you even think about stuff like ayahuasca, right? You know, like it was a the leaf of one plant and the vine of another plant and they combine them and they brew that shit for like yeah. eight, 12, 15, 24 hours, I don't know, for a really long time. And then you get this magical, mystical experience kind of thing, you know. Um, really bizarre, the kind of thing, like, that these things just don't happen on their own kind of thing. You know, that, that, that there had to be some sort of... Um, uh, that the entheogenic medicine just kind of presented itself or gave itself to us, you know, yeah. different periods of time and what, what whatever we were able to like have access to kind of thing. Um, and, and then, you know, you, you start to muddle that with the whole like money gaining capitalist scheme and, and, and that will be problematic, right? That, um, you know, um, you, you, you think, hey, George, like, hey, let, let's give you some mushrooms two or three times, you know, maybe over a course of a couple of years. Um, and, and you resolve your trauma or you resolve your depression or you, you get a better grasp on your day-to-day -day living. And um, this isn't going to be maybe something you need 10 years from now, 20 years from now, or even want to do again. Right. How, how the fuck do you grow a business model on that? You, you really can't, right? So, so, so that becomes the, the problem, right? And, and that becomes the pushback that we all hear is that, you know, um, I, I hear that in Colorado, right? That um, mm -hmm. um, psychedelics is just going to be like cannabis uh, again, you know, that it's just going to be a bunch of privileged white men who, who come into the space and make their money and then all the people of color are going to suffer and not be able to thrive kind of again especially and this is problematic because it's part of their culture part of their heritage and all that stuff right um and i always kind of have to respond like you know if i go to the dispensary you know and i buy an eighth of cannabis from um, Emily, you know, behind the counter and, and, and she's having a bad day and she's moody with me kind of thing. Like, I go home and I'm smoking my pot and I'm enjoying it kind of thing. But I, I'm not thinking like, I wonder how Emily is doing. And, you, you know, and, and like, it, it's this cannabis like been tainted. Like, you know, like she didn't really seem like the biggest spiritual leader 
you know, it, 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 like that, that I should be listening to kind of thing, right? Um, th there is a difference than going to a cannabis dispensary, having a five to 10 minute interaction with, with, with someone versus seeking someone out to, to, to do a, a facilitated psilocybin session, right? That, 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 you, that you know, you, 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 I'm not going to be looking for the Elon Musk, you, you know, uh, 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 of the tech world kind of thing. I, 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 I might be looking for, you know, um, a, a person of color who, who, who has had struggle. And, and then I feel can has maybe a little bit more um, credibility in, in the spiritual realm of things, right? So um, I, 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 I think we do a disservice in the psychedelic space when we conflate um, psychedelic um, experiences and trying to find facilitators versus just going to, you know, the dispensary down the street and, you know, you, you don't really give a five piece selling you the weed, you know, you, you're there for 10 minutes and you, you put your tip in the jar and then you're going about your day kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It, it brings up so many interesting questions on some levels. When I think about these different models and I think about the different people that are affected, it seems to me that psychedelics and theogens in some ways are showing us that the real experts are the people with lived experience. Yeah. You know, someone who's someone who's gone to school and learned from a book that was probably written by a, at least large part studies that were funded by the pharmaceutical industry, <laughs> you know, versus someone that was you know, maybe raped as a child or who was abused yeah. as a child and found their way through that trauma. Like which one of those people is better to help you with that trauma? Someone that yeah. deeply cares and went to, was fortunate enough to have, you know, $100,000 to go to school to learn from somebody who knew a guy who had a friend whose dad may have seen this happen one time or someone yeah. who actually went through it, right? And I don't think it necessarily has to be either or. Oh, <laughs> Um, it can be both. And. Um, and I'll share, you know, I grew up, you know, I was, um, my mom conceived me when she was 16. Uh, I was born when she was 16. Five days later, she turned 17. Um, you know, uh, her mom dropped out of school when she was in third grade. You know, like I, I did not come from a, a, a history, a, a privilege kind of thing. Um, and, and then I, I think about like the most transformative experience I had with psilocybin was when I was in graduate school. Um, all right, uh, my dissertation topic was on forgiveness. <laughs> um, so I had done, um, when I got into my doctoral program, all the people above me in my class encouraged me. It's like, you pick your dissertation topic right away because every paper you're going to write is going to be on your dissertation topic. So when you go to sit down and write your fucking dissertation, you can pull from this paper, that paper, and this paper, and then ta-da, 
you got your you got your lit review asshole kind of thing you, you, you know you you have everything that you need to do um so i was like okay 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 so i picked my dissertation topic really early um it, it was about around that time when they had that um school shooting at the uh amish church in mm-hmm. pennsylvania right and the gunman walked in and just plowed down all those you know, kids in that one room school kind of thing. And um, and, and, and I saw that um, funeral service procession that they had. That, you know, there was this community in Pennsylvania and they had all these little coffins going down the um, procession, right? And, and they had the coffin uh, of the school shooter, right? Um, mixed in with it because the the community realized that, you know, we, we have an obligation to forgive, you know, um, if we can't forgive other people, God won't be able to forgive us when, when we die. Forgive us just as we forgive our trespassers, yada, 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 you know, how the whole thing goes. Um, and that really struck me. And, and mm-hmm. you, you know, counseling psychology, you're supposed to be resilient based and focused on growth and uh, all that stuff. So that honed in on that, did all my studying for a couple, three years. Yeah, and I really had a really good intellectual uh, uh, understanding of what forgiveness was, and I got it, you know, like on a cognitive level, right? And I say this is like a cognitive scaffolding that you have. But I don't necessarily believe that I it jived with me on an emotional level. Um, so then... Um, one day, like, fortunately for me, I come, come across these mushrooms and I have my headphones on and I'm curled up in my bed, heads over my cap, you know, heads, uh, covers over my head kind of thing, right? And um, the, the right song came on at the right moment. And I, I had a very spiritually transformative moment where all that intellectual understanding and setting that I did over forgiveness, you know, I, I was thinking about my mom's trauma and my grandma's trauma and, mm-hmm. you know, all, the, all all my indigenous lineage is on, very on my maternal side kind of thing. So uh, all that stuff came up and the whole ancestral processing happened. Um, and then the next day, you know, like, well, yeah, she, you know, grandma was an awful person or really a real pill or, you know, really difficult to manage kind of thing, but I, I get it now, and, 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 but I don't take it personal mm. in, in, in anymore, right? And, and, and I was able to have that healing experience. Um, do I think that everyone has to go, you know, do some elaborate PhD research and, you, you know, do some like psilocybin thing that, you know, but, but I, I, I do think that there is some sort of preparation work in some sort of, you know, like, um, research is me search, you know, <laughs> and, and um, you know, psilocybin isn't going to necessarily correct everything, but, but it is the, the information, the education, the self-reflection yeah. that you do bring into the experience that creates the scaffolding for, for all this stuff to take place. And, and um, it, it's not like, you know, a silver bullet kind of yeah. thing, but, but you, 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 the more prepared you are, 
going into it, the you, you, it's like playing roulette, right? You you know we, we can put chips on the board, <laughs> um, and we're gonna spin the wheel, and the fucking ball is gonna fall where it falls, kind of thing. So how do we maximize your results when that ball lands in, in the wheel, kind of thing, right? So um, and, and I think there's a lot of maybe a need for mentorship or some sort mm-hmm. of apprenticeship, you know, because that, that becomes problematic, right? I, I, I've been in the room a couple of times where um, some guy walks in and he's like, good news, everybody. I did mushrooms two months ago. And, you know, <laughs> um, uh, told me I should be a shaman, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, I'm here now. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, uh, kind of thing, uh, and, and it's very cringe, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, uh, I guess so. Um. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think that the best psychedelic experience begins in the library. You know, I, oh, I think yeah, that, yeah. right? I, I think it was Terrence McKenna who said, "If we don't read the books on our shelves, then we're no better than our cats and a dog." Like, I know there's so much that we can learn from the experience of others, and not that we, not that we should take everything as gospel from others, but we should build that scaffolding. Mm-hmm. And I, I, maybe in some ways, this counter count, contradicts my last statement about schooling and stuff, but. I should try to clarify. I think that self-discovery can be a really, really powerful tool. And I'm glad we have institutions out there that help people find ways to discover realities that are meaningful to them because it's very, very important. But for those who may not have access to it, there's plenty of resources where you can go and find those voices that are calling to you, that you can provide that scaffolding for you. And you can find the, 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 framework or the lattice to build on right it's it's in some ways this 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 is another question i have desmond it seems like we do need on some level a mentor or a guide for the beginning of our journey but the ultimate guide the ultimate healing should be for people to never have to go see that person again right yeah um i sometimes i say you know um being a good therapist isn't being the smartest person. Like I, I, George, you might be smarter than me, and <laughs> doubt it. You, you, you know, you you might do better at Jeopardy or whatever. You know, whatever our metric is, <laughs> uh, right? Um, uh, who, ever, anywho, um, the, the best therapist, right? It, it's going to be the most curious person mm. in the world, right? You know, what makes you feel that way? You know, oh. What made you react that way? Or, you know, tell me more about your history, right? You know, like, how did you get point A to point B? Or you, you told me this a minute ago, now you're telling me that. Help me understand the, the like, it's just these things sound incongruent, right? Help me connect those dots in my head, right? These are kind of the, the uh, cornerstones of any therapeutic relationship, you know, kind of thing. You're not Jerry Springer, like, ah, you know, being angry and upset, you know, with the other person. Um, so there's that component of it, right? 
and, and, and you kind of have to that, that that is a really useful important skill yeah. set to, to, to have right and, and you have to have maybe understanding of neurobiology and you know trauma and the effects that that has on the brain it, it, it's not super convoluted that I, I feel like your average person can can learn that kind of thing you know um uh, it, it, it's I, I I think maybe the barrier is that because these things have been criminalized mm. and medicalized to the degree that they are that that you know the um, maybe the traditional way of how these things have presented themselves in indigenous cultures may not be accessible anymore. You know, you, you think about a little bit farther removed in history, right, of, of people who might just be really empathic or empathetic and they have some sort of innate skill set, right, to, to, to be a facilitator, right? And the, the medicine man kind of recognized that in the person. Like, hey, you, buddy. Like, uh, I'm going to apprentice you and, and I'm going to teach you because mm -hmm. uh, I've done enough ayahuasca to know that I'm going to die. <laughs> you, mm, know, yeah. you know, and there's got to be some other person <laughs> that, that, that does this shit when I leave, <laughs> kind of thing. Right. Um, I, I, that, 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 that's where maybe the cultural de deterioration mm. uh, has happened. Right, and um, it, and it becomes problematic when we think about um, uh, you, you know the role that colonialization has had mm -hmm. with um, indigenous people it is that you know um, traditionally Judeo-Christian um, value systems is placed on temperance and sobriety. And not, mm -hmm. um, and, and being, you know, clean as a whistle kind of thing, right? Yeah. And, and, and then you have these indigenous people who, whose history on is like um, peyote, ayahuasca, psilocybin, ibogaine, like that opens stuff up that maybe, you know, sobriety and temperance isn't the, um, the metric stick that, that, that we're or measuring stick that we use, right? Um, so th this is kind of going to be part of our ongoing conversation, right? And, and especially, you know, um, I, I, I think there's a really interesting conversation happening right now about like, can you be a, um, a, uh, effective psilocybin facilitator? And never taken psilocybin, right? Uh, you, you know, like, oh yeah, I, I did my training at Johns Hopkins, like, you know, like, um, I, but I've never touched anything ever, ever, kind of thing. And um, oh, I think you know. Yeah, 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 I'm not gonna say it, but uh, say it. there's no this, possible way it can just read between those be. lines. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible like you don't yeah. know 
what you don't know and like to try and the blind leading the blind you know it's it's you need to see how the sausage is made kind of thing here's here's one let's let's take that one role deeper what about Uh the people that are studying psychedelics and have never taken psychedelics you know, like, how what does it mean? Is that? How yeah, no. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, first off, thanks for your research. That's awesome. Uh-huh. I, I love what's going on. <laughs> but don't you think maybe it would be more interesting if you had the experience and then did the research? Like, would, might that open up new avenues? And you start looking at the millions of dollars that certain people have behind yeah. them to study things for 20 years. And you're like, oh, what was it like when you did it? And they're like, what? I'm like, what was it like when you did psychedelics? I know. And it's usually the worst people, but (laughs) (laughs) like, like, like the people you would never want to have at a dinner party. (laughs) I don't want you talking to my grandma uh, kind of thing or my neighbor kind of thing. Um, And and you're like, well, it's not for me, but you know, uh, there's going to be a marketplace and you know, all all that stuff. You know, it's always those assholes. Right, who, 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 who don't want to do it, and you know there might be one or two trepidatious people maybe sure. in the room. Like, well, I don't know. My grand, my dad had schizophrenia. My brother had, you know, schizoaffective disorder. Agree. I, I, I'm worried that I, they could put me in, in a vulnerable place. You know, you, you know, as far as that. Um, See, this one brings up, I just want to inject for one minute, because this brings up something really incredible. You know, I realize, I I, I don't realize, I've read the research that people who do have mental disorders, like schizophrenia or have it in their family, you know, there's literature that talks about that connection of having a psychedelic experience could trigger something like that. You know, but but it's interesting because I, I think that this, there's a clear delineation here because it seems to me that in the indigenous community, when I, when I talk to people like Dr. Mm-hmm. Jessica Rochester mm-hmm. or yourself, uh-huh. there seems to be a healthy respect for indigenous. Yeah. And in the yeah. West, there seems to be a fear of it. Yeah. And those yeah. are two different models. Like if you respect yeah. something, you're very cautious and you know people that work with it and you have a lineage. If you fear something, you decree, you criminalize it and you make it yeah. dangerous. You know, it's, it's interesting. What, what do you think about those, th- those two, di- that little dichotomy there? Uh, well, I, again, the fear part, right? That's yeah. the part that, as you're talking about it, that really rings in my ears. Okay. Um, because I, I don't know necessarily, you know, schizophrenia or some sort of psychosis is always feared within indigenous communities. Um, you know, just like it, it, it can be, it, sometimes it might be celebrated, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, like, like you have, you, like um, my, my, my buddy Glenn might have one foot in the physical realm and he might have one foot in the spiritual realm, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and there's a place and space for him within the community kind of thing. Right, mm-hmm. that, that, that he might have access to information or knowledge yeah. that um, the people who don't have some sort of neurological barrier or t- uh, typical neurological function might, might experience kind of thing, right? So I, I don't necessarily think that we 
indigenous people necessarily pathologize people who might be labeled as having conditions or disorders or whatever kind of thing, right? Um, I, I, I think that might be a difference you know, between the two. Um, and when you live in a very Western model that values production and, you know, are you able to work nine to five yeah. and, you know, <clears throat> you know uh, what's your 401k look like, you know, you know kind of thing. Um, you're, you're, you're not really valued in that culture kind of thing. Um, and, and that's going to be the other kind of maybe layer of this problem. Right, it, it is because um, I, I've seen situations where people who've had these disorders, th their symptoms increase, right? Mm -hmm. they, they become what I might, if I was a therapist, label as um, delusional or, you know, um, you know the delusions of grandeur or, or mm -hmm. whatever I might label that kind of thing. and. And Western Europeans don't necessarily value that or want that, or they see it as a bad thing. But, you know, in indigenous culture, it's like, how can we accommodate you? What can we do to make space for you? How do we, you know, make you a part of our community yeah. and group kind of thing? You know, we're, we're, we're you know, it, 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 um, we're not too far along away from, you know, like, um, people like Rose Kennedy being lobotomized, uh, uh, kind of thing, right? Um, and uh, that's, I, I think that's more of a cultural problem than anything. I, I'm reminded of King Kesey's One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Classic. It's, it's interesting too. I, I've been speaking with, uh, Dr. David Sullivan, who's the creative director of Christopher Newport University. We've been doing this series on medieval mystics, like Richard Roll and Marjorie Kemp. All of these people heard voices. They heard music. Hmm. And the, the Christian church at that time was like the beginning of like, these guys are nuts. You know, where just a few years ago, they were the divine, they were the muses. They were the Isaiahs. They were the prophets. They were the people that were listening to the sound of God. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. You know, we, we would have no biblical texts. If it yeah. For yeah. Any of these people. <laughs> 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 Let's go with Spain to Spain, right? <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. The point, I was just saying like, maybe the voices you hear What's wrong with hearing voices that are God? What's wrong with the planet talking oh, to you? Yeah. You know, oh, it's yeah. it's kind of beautiful. It's scary. Like I, I, it's scary to have a really intense, heightened state of awareness and hear a voice that is not in the room. Mm -hmm. But what is the voice saying? Maybe, maybe yeah. if you can be around that voice enough, you can listen to that. Maybe that's the voice of the planet. Maybe that's the voice of your unrealized dreams, desperately trying to shake you and make you a better person. You know, it's. We should maybe we shouldn't run from that. Maybe that's the world yelling at us, like, "Hey, dummy, do this." You know, and I think that's maybe sometimes we are kind of maybe limited by the our, our own mechanisms of our uh, the neurology of the mechanics yeah. of how our brain works, right? Um, I, I, oh, 
hope I, I don't know if I'm delusional or hallucinating or anything at any given moment. <laughs> the, the the feedback I get from people is that I'm not. So I'm just gonna have to believe everybody. Kind of <laughs> um but you, you think about this idea, right? That your your brain kind of, uh, as far as in, input information, it, it's usually audio visual mm -hmm. kind of stuff, right? I, I see things and I hear things mm -hmm. and it becomes like a tape recorder running through my brain and, and that becomes the record that I'm keeping, right? Kind of thing. Um, it, it, and that's just the only sensory information that I have that it's right. accessible to me kind of thing right and, and then you um i'm going to maybe really butcher this and give a really poor explanation kind of thing but from what i understand uh, of like people who who study like the really super hard sciences you know that time isn't necessarily linear that it kind mm -hmm. of folds back in and upon itself kind of thing but because of the limitations of my senses, it only comes in uh, in a very linear way kind of thing. Um, it, it, and you do read about some of these really interesting experiences, right, um, of uh, shamans who, who, who might have a little bit more access to the grand scheme of things. Um, I, I'll give like the example of um, the most famous example or the earliest Western example uh, of uh, uh, Gordon Valentina Wasson, right? The, the people in the Life magazine that went down to Huaca, Mexico and met with Maria Sabina and, and, and did all that kind of thing. Um, so that, that article came out 1959 kind of thing. That, that wasn't their first trip down there kind of thing. They had been up there a couple times before. Um, and Maybe a year or two before that, they they, they sat in ceremony with uh, Maria Sabina's, I think it was their, her son-in-law. You know, it was a dude married to her daughter, a uh, 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 kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and um, th th their son had been missing for a little bit of time b before that. Um, and at one point after the ceremony or during the ceremony or after the ceremony, I'm a little hazy on the details right now, but, but he had told them like, I, I, I see your son. He's in a gray uniform and he's in some sort of military service, you know, over there kind of thing. Um, and, and then they got home and a couple of months later, they got a phone call from, from, from their son kind of thing. And he, um, he, it was kind of like a, you think about like some guy in his early 20s in the 1950s um his fiance or girlfriend had broke up with him he, he got really depressed crestfallen mm -hmm. and he joined the the army didn't tell anybody mm -hmm. and, and they had placed him in germany kind mm -hmm. of thing you know kind of and then you read um uh Valentina Wesson's experience of um, that trip they did take in that Life magazine time uh, kind of thing, that she had this kind of feeling like she was floating and able to visit uh, people and friends and family kind of stuff throughout the the, the, the space. And, and 
she didn't realize that one of the things that she had seen was um, the area that the helicopter, you know, had, had put them down in. Because to get to that part in, in, in that region of the world, they, they had to take a helicopter, you know, kind of thing. And, and then on, on the departing part uh, of that trip, she, she looked back and she's like, oh, my gosh, that's what I saw, you know, during that mushroom ceremony kind of thing. You, you know, and she didn't recognize it because when they had dropped her off beforehand, they, they dropped her off in a different part uh, 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 of the landscape. Mm. Um, so I, I, I'm not saying this like this is the God, you know, my hand to God truth kind of thing. But but these are very interesting anecdotal firsthand experiences that, you know, are where we, you know, these are things we, yeah. we shouldn't be so dismissive of. And, you know, you know, if this can happen to, you know, your average Joe, you know, Gordon Watson was, um, a, you know, banker for uh, J.P. Morgan, right? A uh, 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 kind of thing. Um, maybe you know, uh, maybe we don't know. Yeah. Uh, and this is just the basis of science, right? I don't know. What can I do to learn more? <laughs> Ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> Sit with people that do know more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And find altered states of consciousness and where you see and view the world different. This brings me to, like, I've been zooking out on this idea of sense perceptions. You know, I, I've been, my, my listeners are probably tired of me talking about Marshall McLuhan, but there's this great book called the Gutenberg galaxy. And he talks about how, you know what I mean? Like after the type of, after typography began to make its way into the world, the written word gave birth to ideas like exact repeatability. You know, and it fundamentally shifted the way we see the world. We went from lived experience and finding ways to create our own realities in the world to all of a sudden being having the blinders on and having this exact repeatability. And it, it changed the way we can model reality. I know. Yeah. And that's just one of those things you have to talk about when you talk about like the, like the limitations yeah uh, uh, of science right it, it, it's that the, the idea of repeatability or recordability or you know the validity and the reliability part of it right that, yeah uh, I, I i can't recreate my childhood nor would i want to um <laughs> uh, uh, you, you know nor, nor should you uh, uh, uh kind of thing right? like you know we're, we're always in a evolving process and that we're, we are just trying to kind of gather uh, snapshots right of, you know this is what's happening at this time in this place in history kind of thing you, you know um, if you grew up you know during um, Eisenhower's administration you, you had a unique experience versus if you grew up during Bill Clinton's Mm -hmm. um administration right um that like there there is no way it's going to take a lot of smarter people than us to recreate all, all, all those situations right to, to try to kind of capture you know the the role of um of uh, science and um the humanities right, right. 
um, you know, um, and, and maybe that's where maybe we're, we, one area where we might be going astray mm. a, 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 as a culture is that we yeah. put such an emphasis on STEM uh, in, in the schools and academics, which is great and cool. And we need the STEM people, but, but we also need the historians and the, the English literature, you know, humanity people, mm -hmm. right? Because um, we're, we're always looking at that intersection but, but between, you know, arts and sciences. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that kitty cat is up to no good. Yeah, hang on, hang on one second, right, man. Let me grab right, this little right. rascal. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was locked. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it, here's, here's an interesting vantage point that I, have, I, I think it's interesting, and I think I've gained it from podcasting and talking to so many different people and so many different different levels and so many cool people that have been kind enough to share their traumas with me. And, and, and in doing so, I, I, they allow me to share my traumas with them. And I think that in some ways, we can go back and fix our childhood. What a pattern that I have noticed is that a lot of people that have had trauma, they find themselves in positions as adults helping kids that are going through that trauma. And in a weird way, they're helping a younger version of themselves get through that trauma faster. And in doing so, they're going back in time and fixing their childhood. You know, if we, if we just, if we, if we take this abstract notion of time, that it's not linear, that it, it's, it's, it's here, it's, it's yesterday, it's four seconds ago, it's now. You know, we are moving through time simultaneously. I know that's kind of a, kind of oh, woo-woo, no. but, you know, no, it, it's possible, right? You know, that's the whole thing about, uh, you look at any type of eyewitness testimony, right? You know, like, yeah. You know, you know, everyone knows it's shit, right? <laughs> um, you know, you, you see the car accident, I, I see the car accident, right? And we, we, we have two different yeah. narratives about what we saw, right? Um, and, you know, when I use the metaphor with, patients, I, I, I talk about the idea that, um, you know, our, our, our brains just on, on a machine level cannot really have any definitive recreation or recollection uh, of what, what we saw, right? Um, right? If I'm talking to you right now and I have a memory pop into my head from um, a year ago, right? Um, that version of the memory is the pristine Blu-ray copy playing in my head kind of thing, right? Uh, that's the best version uh, of the history that I have playing. Uh, and, and then it gets tainted and altered when, when it goes back into the recollection yeah. storage part of it. So tomorrow, if I recall the same memory, that it gets... I, I get the polluted version, you know, it's like when I'm dating myself, I uh, when, 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 when people used to burn CDs, right? You, know, right? you burn a CD, I burn a CD, you know, each burning of the CD gets a little bit more poor in, in quality, right? Um, so all my thoughts and feelings that I'm having right now, it, they get superimposed mm -hmm. uh, on that reburning of the CD. Um, so I, I never get like the, the true accurate of it. Like I'm always, um, 
messing it up, you know, and, and I can mess it up in a in a healthy way or in a negative way. Kind of thing, right? I, I, I could think like, oh my gosh, that was like the worst, most awful thing that's ever happened to me. Life is hopeless. Life is helpless. You know, and I can have that story and that narrative, right. that traumatized narrative kind of superimposed on it, right? Um, or I can be like, oh man, how did I get through that? Like, I, I was so yeah. smart. I was so like resilient, you know, and, and, and I can burn that story kind of thing and kind of photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy that, that way kind of thing. Um, you're distorting it one way right. or, 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 or the other. Right. Um, so that's just kind of maybe one of the, the, the limitations uh, uh, of our uh, neurological wiring. And, and, and then there's that kind of that idea of um, that recreational idea right. that, that I threw out there before that, you know, you, 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 you can have this idea that, you know, um, and, and you see this right, maybe the best example might be with women who left um, abusive households, right? And they volunteer with their local domestic violence mm -hmm. shelter, right? You know, yeah. no one else is going to have to go through this again, you know, yep. and if I can do it, or if I can figure this out, I, I, I can give a hand up to someone else yeah. kind of thing, right? And there is therapeutic catharsis in those actions that, uh-huh. That, that's, you know, part of the rewiring process, right? That, that, that it is necessary. I, I, one of the uh, conference uh, presentations I went to at the MAPS thing w w w was talking about, you know, if you do ayahuasca or ketamine or psilocybin or something, and you have all this neuroplasticity available to you, but, but you go back home to the same toxic, abusive, environment you, you you're just re-traumatizing your brain mm -hmm. kind of thing because your brain is so malleable and, and so vulnerable right now that if you're not going back into a healthy nurturing environment you, you're shooting yourself in the foot again kind of thing because you know um, you, you have all this potential that that you're just that you're harming right so um, I, I, I think that's just as people are trying to maybe understand and uh, utilize psychedelics more, that it, it isn't just a weekend situation that you do, mm. that, that, that it is about the, the living environment that, that you return to, right? And, 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 and that encapsulates a lot. It encapsulates you friends and family, it encapsulates your, your, your work health and, and work culture, and it also kind of envelops the political culture that you return to kind of thing, right? That, that there's a lot of layers to that onion that, that, that really need to be considered. Um, so, so, you know, just being an advocate for psychedelics, it's cool and great and everything, but unless you're an advocate for bigger systemic change, you're, you're kind of pissing in the wind at that point. I think you just explained to everybody out there why you might be one of the greatest therapists ever. Like, that's so true. Like, it's such a, it's a relationship, man. It's, that's so beautiful, Desmond. I, I, have, I haven't, 
I haven't heard anybody really put it so succinctly before. So thank you for that. Everybody listening, like that's how it's done. It's a relationship, right? Yeah. 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 No, and it's a relationship with yourself, right? That's always an important part of it. You know, um, you know, you, you, the ego death, right? And that people talk about that and really emphasize that, you know, you, you, you do your whatever psychedelic you do. And then like everything, sobriety is eventual. <laughs> you know, it's going to wear off. And then your ego comes back. It's like, nice try, George. You tried to kill me. Uh, uh, I'm back. Uh, you need me, right? Uh, you you got to go to work. You got mm-hmm. bills to pay. You got to go to the grocery store. Get your bread, get your milk, or, or whatever's on your shopping list, right? And But, it, but it's hard to feel unworthy and inferior after this kind of like spiritual journey endeavor mm-hmm. that you go on. Right. So, so you really have to change your relationship with yourself, right. Of how you talk to yourself about yourself and, and you know, um, being kinder and gentler with yourself versus like, you know, George, no one's ever going to love you. Your, your dad beat the shit out of you. You know, and you, and like your, your fifth grade girlfriend said this about you. Kind of <laughs> yeah. That is always going to be the a losing conversation that you have with yourself, right? Yeah. But but hopefully, right, as you change that conversation with yourself, um, and, and I've noticed this too with people, yeah. that, that, that they, they've set, learned how to set better boundaries with people. You know, like, I, I remember I've heard a couple different housewives or moms or married women say, you know, like, you know, like, I, I kind of realized after this therapy that I've been doing, like, you know, like my husband seems to instigate a lot of conflict. <laughs> you know, maybe it's just not me <laughs> all yeah. the time. You, you know, it does take two to tango, right? Mm-hmm. In these relationships, and, and then, and then that's where my work as a therapist comes in. It's like, all right, all right, ladies. So now we're talking about boundaries. Like, mm-hmm. how, how are we going to talk to your husband, or what are you going to say? What's going to happen? That's going to be different. Yeah, yeah, you know, because sure, you have all this kind of uh, neurological pizzazz because of the, the the medicine that you do, that that, that you just did. But that, that, that's going to wear off you yeah. know, in, in the next couple months, six months kind of thing, right? Um, but, but right now, you're really galvanized for change. And, and um, th- this is our moment to rise to the occasion. Today is a new day. Mm-hmm. It's. I recently spoke to a, a graduate of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they, from time to time, we use psilocybin. And I asked them, "How is that relationship? Is that is that an odd one for you? Because it, on some level, they they preach this abstinence." And he goes, "You know what?" Thanks for bringing that up, George. It's, it is strange because some of the people that he graduated with, they were like some of his closest confidants, want no part of him anymore because he, mm. they, they feel threatened by him or something like that. But isn't it a weird sort of situation there? Like, you're not sober, man. You did this other thing. It, it speaks to maybe the rigidness 
of the mindset versus the plasticity of the mindset. Yeah, you know, and, and again, it, you, you're exactly touching on that idea that I talked about before. About yeah. The, the uh, Western um, value uh, of valuing sobriety and temperance. And yeah. All, all, all that stuff. But it also, you know, that this whole mentality is also devoid, absent of Bill Wilson, you know, the founder <laughs> of, uh, right? You, you know where I'm going with this, right? You're laughing already. I haven't even got to the punchline. Um, you, 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 you know, the founder of AA, right? Who was a big advocate for LSD, um, you know, the AA um, space, because you need, um, for him, part of sobriety and abstaining from alcohol and all that fun stuff um, is contingent on a very spiritual mo moment, right? And have a relationship of God or a higher power, or, uh, however you want to paint that. Um, and for him, LSD uh, facilitated that, right? And, and then you mm -hmm. look like someone like... Um, William S. Burroughs, right, mm. and, and his interaction, his writings back and forth with Aldous Huxley it became you know, the timeless, essential read for anyone in the psychedelic space of Junkie, right? Mm. You, you, you know the guy that he went into the nether regions of, uh, you know, he was the original hipster. Like, I was drinking ayahuasca before it was cool, right? Uh, he went going down to, like, uh, south america and seeking out ayahuasca right um uh because he he, he was so he, he was a heroin addict right kind of thing and you know one of our great thinkers in the counterculture and the late 1950s yeah kind of thing that was a thought leader you know we we, we wouldn't have um the uh, uh, you just said his name, one who flew over the cuckoo's nest. Uh, what's his name? Casey, uh, Kinkesey, yeah, Kinkesey. We wouldn't have him, we, we wouldn't have, yeah. you, you know, a lot of people without William S. Burroughs, kind of thing. Um, so, uh, well, I, I, I don't that, that's a question for the the AA people is like yeah. how they rectify that kind of thing because I. Uh, I, I, my brain does not do those mental Olympics, uh, um, you, you, you know, like this, but that kind of thing. Uh, that that's a conversation for someone else. Uh, but but I, I, I think it, it's not either or. It can be both and for sure, kind of thing. Yeah, maybe maybe like in Kentucky, maybe you can help people understand what's happening down there. It's kind of a nice segue. Okay. Oh yeah, that, that was super <laughs> super interesting thing, right? Because. Uh, I, I, there's been, um, oh, I, I just watched that uh, show on Netflix a couple weekends ago about painkiller kind of mm. thing, right? You know, about the big pharma, right? Going to all these doctor's offices and pushing Oxycontin and opiates. And, you know, Sackler family. And all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then there was the... Uh, the guy in Louisiana, he was a pharmacist, I, I think, right? And his son died. And um, he, he did all this kind of like really great undercover research, right? To kind of, uh, uh, of these doctors, right? You know, who 
were just writing, you know, prescription after prescription, you know, kind of thing. Like there were more prescriptions than people in the state kind of thing. Right. Right. Uh, going around kind of thing. Um, so this is, and, and I, I've seen this in my own family and I've seen this in my own close friends of family kind of stuff. Right. Uh, and you, you see this in states like Utah. Right, mm -hmm. uh, like you know, yeah, like the Mormon culture, right? Yep. They, um, drugs are sacrilegious to them that they get addicted, you know, and um, to opiates, and then the doctor stop, stops writing the prescription, and then they're trolling the streets for black tar heroin, kind of thing, right? Um, so we, we've had this devastating immoral uh, all the adjectives that you you, you want to attach to that uh, issue with opiates and, and painkillers and being pushed by big pharma right because growth 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 capitalism right. capitalism capitalism kind of thing right and, and, and uh, it's unsustainable right so so people have died and um so uh kentucky uh, earlier this year, um, they set aside a, a big portion of, of the financial settlement that, that they got from the opiate um, settlement money or lawsuit money. I, I forget what exactly if it went out in court or if it settled or whatever. But I, I'm blanking on numbers. It's 47 or 74 million dollars so one of those two but that's a big chunk of change yes right for um uh ibogaine research right and ibogaine super interesting thing probably maybe the new kid on the block even uh, as far as like the western awareness right because it has a right. history in africa and you know and everything so it's like a foreign exchange student yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't ever want to give the impression that just because people in the west finally caught on to something that is new, <laughs> uh, 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 kind of thing. You know, um, there is nothing new under the sun, right? Uh, uh, kind of thing. Um, but, um, you know, it's sounds like it can be a really transformative medicine for, for people um, struggling with opiate addiction uh, because um, uh, uh, the opiate receptors, you know, and um, I, I I saw, you know, um, you know, there, there's some health concerns around maybe like mm -hmm. cardiac stress and everything. And, and plus it, from my understanding, that's one medicine I haven't sat with. And mm -hmm. so I, I don't have any of my own anecdotal uh, story to share with it. Is that it can maybe last 24, 36 hours. Yeah. Kind of thing. So, so, so you're in for quite the ride from, yeah. from my understanding kind of thing. And, and, um, and it does, and it can be intense. Like it, it's, uh, one of the presentations I went to at maps, one of the presenters say that, you know, 80% ish uh, of the people I'm forgetting like the exact number, 83, 86, maybe, um, said that, you know, they, they had like a slideshow kind of psychedelic trip, you know, where, where mm -hmm. they went through every trauma that had ever happened to them in linear order kind of thing. Like, you know, this is your life kind of stuff. 
you know, and just having to look at that Man. right, right in the face kind of thing. But but you're able to do it in maybe a more dissociative kind of psychedelic mm-hmm. kind of lofty space kind of thing. And you find therapeutic healing in that. You know, like a good example I heard of was like a military soldier, former military person who had PTSD, and they revisited every person that they killed in Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever they served kind of thing and reliving each and one of those things that they endured kind of thing, right? And this is, you know, the the power of psychedelics because, you know, people do stigmatize psychedelics as like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're just trying to numb out and you're just trying to avoid kind of stuff. You know, it's like, no, like if you're revisiting every awful traumatic thing that you're ever happened or that you've done kind of thing, you're doing the opposite of numbing out. Yeah. Removing yourself from it. You're, you're putting yourself, your face on, uh, on the mirror or on the glass kind of thing. Revisiting all these things. And um, there, there's gotta be an understanding and reverence for that. You know, that we, we, overcome and heal our trauma not by avoiding but working mm-hmm. through it yeah th- there's that great quote that says the only way out is through and <laughs> how inconvenient is that <laughs> right if only there was some other way God damn it, it is the only let's way. try every other way first <laughs> i know we have trust me like we, we, we we've tried to as best as we could Um, if we would have you know if people would have figured that out we 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 would we would be doing it right yeah it's Um, such a good mantra right in some ways it makes me think of like the absence of rituals and the absence of rites of passage you know and like we we just don't have those at least maybe i'm talking about me like i don't have those and so yeah, yeah there's so much that can be learned in there about the ideas of time. And you, know, you get to, know. if there's this, if there's a, you know, let's look at the Island. Like let's take it to Aldous Huxley and, and look at the Island where the, the young teenager goes with his mentor to climb the side of the mountain and sit in the church and have a psychedelic experience and maybe begin to understand, Hey, this thing that I have between, up here is part of the world. And we can really make this place better if we understand we're part of it, you know? And I know. Sometimes, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, that's, what do you think about the rites of passage and rituals? That's hard. You, you, yeah, we don't have it, you know, kind of thing. Or, no, I, I'm not going to, not, Americans don't have that. Well said. All right. Um, you North know, Americans. Yeah, North, <laughs> you know, yeah, North, okay. <laughs> Confine our boundary. North Americans don't have, right, you know, um, because we really don't, I don't want to, I'm not saying this to be mean, but we don't really have, white people in America don't really have a culture, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's problematic, right? Um, because, you know, you, you, you think of like people in Peru, right? You, you get to an age, and yeah. you do drink ayahuasca and you go back to your community and everyone else has gone through that passage, right? And there's that and you can even think of like Jewish people, right? You, yeah. you have your bar mitzvah, your bat mitzvah, and it's a whole community, I think, kind of thing, right? What do we really have 
for what do white not me, but what, what do white people really have? And um, not much. North North America, you, you get you're 16 and you get your driver's license, right? Mm-hmm. So, 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 so your only obligation to the society is your premium on your uh, car insurance, <laughs> kind of thing, right? The the most far removed thing that you, you could ever think of, right? You know, it's the idea of insurance, right? Like <laughs> I, I, I'm paying my car premium, and so. Mm-hmm. If you get in a car accident, like our collective money goes to pay for that kind of thing, right? There really is no social safety net, you know, that that is needed, right? And for a healthy culture to exist or to thrive and kind of thing, you know, and this is the, the issue that we see when it of like people in nursing homes and mm-hmm. you, you, you know we, there was a big there was a lot of this like you know like people needing to put their kids in daycare and preschool and everything at a young age because they got work and they can't afford you know you know babysitters kind of thing right there, there, there is no kind of collective um safety net protection, I, 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 I guess, that we, we have as Americans, because we're so goddamn individualistic. You know, I, I got mine, buddy. You you figure out you kind of thing. And, and that is just not sustainable, and it's tragic. Yeah, I see it playing out. And it seems that <clears throat> this particular mental illness on some level is really playing out in all of our lives. And I see it a big part in like my parents and like the boomer generation, maybe because they're, they're getting close to, to death and there's such a giant demographic of them. Like I, I see so many people that I love and I care about that are boomers that are desperately trying to live that, that are dying and they don't know how to deal with it. And they are no. freaking out, oh, you know, no. and it, it makes me so sad. It's like I just they're desperately clinging on to like these fallacies and these unrealized dreams. And it's like, do you need to take some time for yourself right now? Like you're you're yeah. knocking on the door. What are you doing? It's yeah. it's so fear, it's so fearful. And it on some level, I try to see it as a lesson. Like, okay, I see what my parents and so many people I care about are doing. I need to maybe quit my job. I need to start spending some time with my family. Like these people are knocking on death's door and they're freaking out. Like we, I should start doing the important stuff now, yeah, I know. you know, I'm, and I'm grateful that I've got to see yeah, that and learn right. from that. It's hard though. It's, it is sad. Right. And I, I, I think part of the cult issue, right. Is we, as a culture, we really don't speak to death, give it enough space or kind of, understand that as a part of being sacred mm-hmm. right I, I i know in most indigenous cultures when it's meal time that the people who get served food first are the children and the elders because they're the most sacred they're the closest to death mm-hmm. the children just came from that space and the elders are closest to that so so they're the most revered and the most valued within the tribe kind of thing, right? And um, 
when, when we're a culture that values Botox and youth and, uh, I, you know, I, I just got my Ozempic shot before this thing, you know, I assume you did too, right? <laughs> um, when, when you got to be young and cute and vital and everything, right? You know, um, yikes. How unfortunate is that? Right. Um, so, so we, Those we, are we, the leaders. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we have to really reevaluate our value system there. Right. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> this idea that, you know, that, um, you know, the, the, the whole experience of theogenic, right, and kind of having the ego death. I, I, I had a psilocybin experience once where um, I, I saw like the Big Bang and like evolution and mm -hmm. everything happening kind of thing. It was like in a stock motion kind of like, you know, frame, 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 frame kind of thing. And, and then I saw people like I died and then mm -hmm. like my friend called other friends like Desmond died. This happened. That happened. Kind of. Then I saw like everyone that I knew died and everyone they knew died kind of thing. And then it kind of pulled out in like this night bright thing. You remember Night Brights, right? The, the little, mm -hmm. yeah, thing, put the little, little, little stick little to it. Yeah. Kind of yeah, I remember that. And I was just one little peg in, in, in the whole Night Bright kind of experience of humanity kind of thing. And, oh, you know, that was a really powerful, mm. important experience, you know, that, that, that I had. Um, but, I don't, I'm still afraid to die. You know, I, I'm yeah. a person, <laughs> and I don't believe anybody that says, you know, like I'm not afraid right. to die. You know, you right? Know. Like, oh, you're a sociopath. That, that, that's what you're selling me, right? <laughs> kind of thing. Like, you have no fear. Oh, but but I I I, I don't feel safe dying. I do feel safe enough. Kind of thing. I think that's. Sometimes where I have to talk to people, like in therapy, right? Yeah. It's like you know, if you're a uh, an LGBT person and you're coming out of the closet, right? You you, you might not ever feel a hundred percent safe coming mm -hmm. out of the closet to someone, but but there might be a friend or a neighbor or a family member that you feel safe enough mm -hmm. coming out of the closet to, and that's where you got to start. Right, it, it, it is this idea of, of, of safe enough. And so, mm. those, so you know, this whole idea that you know, yeah, death is scary, and, and no one's ever going to feel a hundred percent safe dying or, or transitioning to if it's just nothingness or nothingness, or if there's something else out there, or there's something else out there, kind of thing. But, but. We, we have to start that conversation with like what's safe enough for us to talk about and you know and, and what tools do we have to enable us to, to look at that part of life because it's inevitable right um, I, I don't you know um, you know I, 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 there's a Homer Simpson quote um, <laughs> if um, 
if he's so smart, then how come he's dead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Right. That's um, so good. The, 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 I, I, I haven't met the asshole that's figured out a way around that. <laughs> well, let's hope we do <laughs> one day. But in the meantime, it, it, it's what we're what we're all looking at, kind of thing. Right. Yeah, I, I I'm wanted. I've been actively seeking some people that one one of the things I want to do, and if you know anybody that's brave enough or or wants to do it, anybody listening to this, please reach out to me. I think that there is some sort of wisdom you gain or at least some sort of understanding you get from reaching a certain age and, and understanding that you're, you're coming towards the end of life. And I think that though that someone that has that wisdom could speak to people oh. and it can help ease people's way. And it's, you know, I think like a gift to give. And okay. I think it would go a long way to help bridge the relationship between this strange idea that we put people in a home or we send them off because death scares us. Yeah. What about we bring this person back that's close to death and we have them start telling us stories? Like, wouldn't that help us, the younger generation, be better when we get close to them? And wouldn't that make that person feel like they're revered because they should be, right? Well, I, I think that's the – Yeah. Very indigenous, right? you know, not, not to like, uh, yeah, you're, you're you hit the nail on the head, right? That's the whole, you know, um, if you've ever been in a room where there's an indigenous speaker, like, I hope you brought a sack of lunch because you're, you're going to get a story, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, we, we like to talk and we like to share our stories and our experience, kind of thing, and, and we're really good at filibustering. Kind of thing, you know, and I, and I mean that in a very <laughs> sacred, responsible, or respectful way, kind of thing, right? That you know, there there is wisdom from life and experience, kind of thing, and you know, um, when you're a culture of TikTok and YouTube videos, that you know, like you, you, you just get like these very two minute four minute kind of videos, stories kind of thing. Like it's, there's a, it's very superlish, uh, superficial, right? Kind of thing, you know, that uh, you, you, you need someone that has a long story, you know, you know, mm -hmm. you know, you know that, that's going to tell you, you know, teach you, right? Mm -hmm. And this goes back to the, the arts and the humanities part of it. You know that I was talking about before that, you know, you 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 do need the quantitative, you know, data and information and that type of stuff. But that, that doesn't mean there isn't space for qualitative, you know, storytelling, and um, and, and, and that's sacred and that's valuable. And without that, you know, without a context, the the, the quantitative is useless. Right. Desmond, do you, when you, there's like a lot of ways I look at my life and sometimes I look at my life like a story and it really helps me put things in perspective. You know, sometimes I think to myself, 
oh, right now I am weaving this tapestry and I'm, this is a very difficult part. So the symbol I'm doing this, that's why my life is so difficult because I'm creating this part of my life. That's going to be a very delicate symbol later or something like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Is there, is there a certain stories that you live by or is there certain methodologies that you live by or how do you look at your life from time to time that helps you see the world in a unique way or a fun way or a, a good way? Well, you, you said the magic word tapestry. <laughs> uh, right. And, um, there's a, I'm blanking on, I, I can't, I'm not going to come off of it off the cuff here right now, but you know, there's an indigenous, some indigenous person smarter than me said, you know, that, you know, that people are part of the tapestry of, of mm -hmm. life kind of thing, you know, I mean, what you do to, what you do to yourself or what you do to the other, it, it's woven into the fabric of humanity or in nature and animals mm -hmm. and earth and balance kind of thing right you're not you're you're a thread or you're woven into into the grand scheme of things right so you know it, it's um I, I remember reading once like you know we, we don't inherit we don't inherit the earth from our elders we, we, we borrow it from future generations kind of thing, right? And, and I think everyone understands that if I borrow your car, I, I have a moral obligation to return it to you <laughs> and as a good shape or better shape than, than what you lent it to me and kind of thing, right? Um, so I, I, I think it's, you know, the idea of... Uh, 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 oh, I'm blanking on it. Um, but you know, the idea that future life has equal or greater uh, uh, value than, than you know, kind of thing. And you kind of have to think four or five steps ahead, kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's really hard for a lot of people because yeah. a lot of people are just so self-absorbed and me, 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 but, but the, then there's also those people out there too, who want to do better and would do better, but, but they're just struggling to keep their head above water kind of thing. Right. And, and it's not that they have any sort of moral shortcomings or anything like that, but, but, you know, they, they're just, you know, trying to make ends meet, you know, and, you know, um, who was it? Uh, Eisenhower or someone said, you know, that, once you make ends meet, someone moves to, you, you know, you know, the goalpost kind of thing, right? And um, uh, it's, uh, again, it, it's a symptom uh, of the larger, you know, pathology that, we're, that we, we all see and recognize and live with day in, day out in, in this moment in history, right? Yeah. It's comforting at times. Like I, you know, it, it is tough times right now for so many people. And when you're staring, when you have the sword of Damocles hanging over you, or, you know, you're a hundred thousand in debt, or your wife left you, or your husband left you, or your mm -hmm. kid just died, you know, it's, 
it's really hard to look far ahead when this tragedy seems to be right in front of you. You know, yeah. it's yeah. it's so hard to do that. Like, yeah, I feel my heart goes out to so many people that that find that. But yeah. there are there are one way I have I have dealt with things like this that has helped me is that you you, you try and ask better questions of like, okay. Instead of why me, instead of the why did this happen to me? Like maybe you could say, what can I learn from this? And it's hard to yeah. do that, you know, especially if it's fresh. But what what are some other strategies people could do if they find themselves in that situation? Oh, well, I, I think you can ask both questions, right? Yeah. Why me? Like, God <laughs> yeah. damn, why me? What the fuck is <laughs> when it rains it pours? Why me? That's a true, perfectly valid question for anybody to ask at any given point. But you're right. You can also, what else can I learn from this kind of thing, right? Um, and what, what what can I do, or you know, and um, it maybe goes back to the idea of forgiveness that I spoke mm. to earlier. It, it is that shit happens, and you might not necessarily make sense or you might not have any understanding at it at any given time right and and that's maybe one of the things like when that's your value forgiveness is a value and it's something mm -hmm. you practice right like I, I i can forgive the situation kind of thing right yeah i can accept the situation just because i accept it does mm -hmm. not mean that i like it kind of <laughs> right yeah, I, I don't have to like that my parent is addicted to opiates or whatever, but I have to accept that because that's my reality, and, and, and that's you know what's going on with me in, in the moment. And you know, you kind of have to understand that I, I'm allowed to feel anger, I'm allowed to feel hurt, disappointment, or whatever that I'm feeling about this situation in this given moment. But I, I hope two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now, that that I have more peace and resolution, and that you know, I'm resilient enough to kind of get through this kind of thing, you know, because you 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 know that's you know, part of maybe indigenous wisdom, right? Is understanding that, hey. My relatives overcame genocide. You know, I'm living their wildest <laughs> dream, kind of thing, right? You know, I'm the culmination. And, you know, you think about, you know, what are the odds of this sperm meeting that egg and this person going on this date? And you know, what what, what got me here, mm -hmm. kind of thing, right? Um, and I've been in ayahuasca ceremonies where the at the end of the ceremony where the person you know, had you kind of sit back and reflect and think about seven generations in the past and think about all the mm -hmm. trauma and all the hardships and all, all the shit, you know, your relatives and ancestors have gone through. And now think about seven generations forward. What are you doing for healing and everything to, to be the disruption? In that epigenetic kind of trauma that that gets passed on, you know, 
whether it be through like a genetic, you know, transmission of the genes type of trauma, but also, you know, you know, you know, the social learning part of it, right? Of just because my grandma smacked my mom around kind of thing doesn't give me a check to, to smack my kid around and, 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 and to bring that style of parenting and kind of thing. Like I, I, I have to be the, uh, the glitch that I want to see in the mm-hmm. matrix or the change <laughs> that I want to see in the universe kind of thing. Right. Absolutely. I know where I got, I got to, I tend to do this sometimes. I know that we're kind of coming up on time. Uh-huh. So I thought my I would make my... just telling me my body <laughs> bill, we were good. <laughs> okay. So then I'll make it super complicated. This question. Okay. So on the topic of forgiveness, sometimes it seems that there's a relationship between forgiving someone else and forgiving yourself. Oh, okay. I found that sometimes it's easier to forgive someone else than yourself. Like, wait, oh. is that something that oh, okay. you have, you've noticed or what oh, do you think okay. is that relationship? Oh, no, no. So you're, you're meeting two different concepts. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, so, so forgiveness is um, the idea that just because someone hurts you doesn't mean that you, you have reconciliation with that okay. person. Uh, reconciliation is forgiveness with the added step of trust again and that I want a relationship and I want to be buddy buddy with this person again right I I, I, I can forgive a, an abusive spouse or I can forgive an abusive parent that doesn't mean I'm inviting him over for Thanksgiving <laughs> and, and having some sort of you know ongoing relationship with that individual forgiveness is kind of this I get it hurt people hurt people you're damaged but Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't necessarily want to be around you anymore. And, mm-hmm. and you've made no, like, from what I can glean, is that you're, you're, you're still an asshole and, and you're still hurting people and you're still moving around in the world. Good for you, but I, I just don't want to be a part of that anymore. You know, but my heart breaks for you because it's a very lonely life, right? Um, yeah. You, you know, um, if you, treat everyone this way you're, you're, you're going to be alone on your deathbed you know a very lonely miserable person and, and how tragic that is for you that, that your behavior has consequences kind of thing right um but then there's the idea of reconciliation which is you know the idea that you forgive someone and, and you trust uh, okay so I, I, I'm not a big believer in the idea of self-forgiveness because there has to be self-reconciliation. If you don't mm. trust yourself, like, who, who the fuck else are you going to trust? <laughs> kind of thing, right? You, you, you have to like trust yourself enough to be able to navigate uh, and, and to operate and to know that like my decision-making it, it, it is good enough that, that I, I can do things kind of thing right and like i, I can trust myself that yeah I, I can i don't have to use heroin or i don't have to drink or i i, I can't gamble or I, I can't you know do this again kind of thing. that that's that that's the bar you're you're, you're looking at kind of thing. And, and trust is very fragile kind mm. of thing right so um it's always good to forgive yourself but 
forgiveness, self-forgiveness is only going to get you so far. You know, <laughs> if you can't trust yourself to make better decisions and to strive into evolving to the person that you feel like, you know, your, your, your moral compass is pointing yourself into that's the, uh, that's where the dirt meets the road. <laughs> is that good clarification? That is, that's awesome clarification. I, I appreciate it, man. I, um, I love talking to you. This is really fun, man. And I, I, I'm always so interested in, and stoked when our conversations go down these pathways that are kind of unknown, man. It's really fun, man. Thank you very much for this. I appreciate I, it. I, I know. I, I was really like trying to prep myself. Like, yeah, what the fuck am I going to talk about? Like, <laughs> and, and then, you know, you, you kind of have to have trust. That yes. You will rise to the occasion. What comes up will need to come up. You, you yeah. Know, and I'm always enjoying our conversations. So me too, man. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> yes, it was really fun. I'm really thankful for your time. But before I let you go, where can people find you? What do you have coming up, and what are you excited about? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, uh, October first, I'll be presenting at Krista Butte, Colorado, <laughs> the the Grand Mecca of psychedelics. <laughs> be talking to them about uh, psychedelics. Um, I, I am. Coordinating with a hundred million ways on developing an academy uh, research uh, study on uh, trying to kind of maybe get people create like a, a group kind of context where, where there is a community healing for, for the psychedelic kind of uh, thing. Um, and those are the two things that are kind of jumping off at my mind right now. Yeah. Now my bladder is really good. <laughs> yeah. All right, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so right. much for everything. Have a fantastic right. weekend. Right. You too, buddy. Thank you so much. Okay. Aloha. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision and I hope you all conquer it and I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better, your life will be better and you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.